Good morning. You guys excited to be here? All right. I am Pastor Jake. I haven't preached in two weeks. Did you miss me? Okay. Those of you who didn't miss me, I didn't miss you either. All right. That's, I'm just kidding. I missed you. Um, I love preaching at Great Oaks Community Church. I got to preach at uh, an FEC conference this last uh, week, last week, some week that I didn't preach here. And uh, it was great, but not as good as you guys, right? And so I love being home and preaching, and uh, that's what God's called me to do, to preach and teach the Word of God in a way that's, uh, that you can understand, apply, and pass on. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, before we get to 1 Peter chapter 5, um, I want you to know about a series that I'm starting in two weeks, two Sundays from today, called Family Matters. And so this is going to be a great series to invite your neighbors to, anybody who has a family. So if they've been born, then you invite them, okay? And so... Uh, so invite people to this Family Matters series. Family, sometimes we act like family is just going to happen, like because we love each other, right? Like it's just going to happen and family's going to go the right way. And, but how many of you know it's, family's hard, right? Family's difficult. It's hard to get our families going in the right direction. It's hard to deal with strife. It's hard to deal with even tragedy within our families. And so it doesn't just happen on its own. It's important, but it's not easy. Family matters. So faith Honor, commitment, time, forgiveness. These are the family matters that we'll be discussing in our series. Don't miss that. Two weeks from today, bring somebody with you. But for today, to get your mind kind of ready for the passage in 1 Peter 5 that we're going to study, I want to talk to you for a few moments just about leadership and structure. So how many of you this morning woke up and you were like, let him talk about leadership and structure. That would be great. How many of you? Okay, somebody in the back. Great, all right. So please talk about this. This is your favorite topic. I know it is. So I'm going to talk to you for a little bit about that, and then we'll get into our, our passage. There's a, there's a saying that I like to use sometimes uh, that goes like this. Aim for nothing, and you'll hit it every time. <laughs> Aim for nothing, and you will hit it every time. The point of this saying is that if we're going to accomplish anything... We're going to need to have an aim, right? A goal, a purpose, a mission, and and then we're going to have to follow through with that. Aim for nothing, and you'll hit it every time. And it's super basic, right? Like it's it's almost obvious. Like we we accept this idea in just about every arena of our lives, like at work, totally. It's easy to accept, absolutely. We need an aim, we need a goal, we need a plan. It gets frustrating when our bosses and leaders don't give us a lane to run in because we're like, where are we supposed to go? How are we supposed to do this? And so at work, we, we totally accept this, aim for nothing, and you, you'll hit it every time. In government, it makes sense, right? Like most of us aren't true anarchists, Right? I mean, we want leaders. We want leaders that are going to lead strongly. We want leaders that are going to help us as a nation go towards a common goal and a common purpose. We, we want that in our governmental leadership. Aim for nothing and you'll hit it every time. In education, of course, we make goals for kids and adults who are in college or if you're continuing education, we, we make goals. You got to have goals. You got to be intentional. You got to kind of know where you're going in order to get there. And then in our family, um, you know, it's, it's less obvious in our family, less accepted, this idea, aim for nothing and you'll hit it every time, less, less accepted. That, many, many families are just kind of meandering around in the desert, right? Um, no, no clear goal, no clear values, no clear, this is what I want my family to be or to do. Um, a lot of times in family, we just, like a lot of our, our current way of parenting is just the yes parenting, which is... You know, whatever my kid wants to do. Yes, 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 yes. And we say yes to a thousand things, and then we get on Facebook and complain about how busy we are, right? And, and I want to get on there and comment and go, you did this, right? You did this, right? And, that, and how's that, we get, we're, we're running our kids and our families ragged. I mean, how's that going for you guys? Is it like you live in the dream? Like, yeah, let's do this. It's not going that great nationwide because we're producing young adults, who don't know how to rest, don't know how to take a beat, don't know how to be with people, and don't know how to be alone. And we're producing that. It's because we don't have a goal. We're aiming for nothing in our families. But the best, healthiest, most God-honoring families, they have goals, structure, leadership, 
values. They, they, they're aiming for something. Their, their aim is to, that Christ would be exalted in their home. Their aim is that they would have a God-honoring marriage. Their aim for their kids is that above all else, at the end of the day, their kids are Jesus followers, which means that we choose Jesus over everything else when we have a choice, right? Yeah. And then we get to the church, and sometimes we act like this principle is even less true. Like we don't, we don't want structure at church, you know? We don't want, we don't want leadership. We, we just want to just kind of come and do whatever like God, we feel like God is telling us to do, wherever we want, right? Like church, I should just come and get to do what I want. Like there's no, there's no leadership here. Um, we don't think we need direction because we... We love God and we love each other, right? So this is the filter that a lot of churches use uh, to decide what they're going to do, which direction they're going to go. The filter is this. Is it good? And if the answer is yes, the church does it. Basket weaving ministry. It's good. Three people like it. Let's do it. Ferret racing. People love it. Let's do it. Or this one that I hear a whole lot. My old church used to do this, and it was really good. I think we should do it. And a lot of churches go, okay, plug it in. Let's do it. You like it? Let's, let's do it. Daycare, it's good. Let's do it. No unified direction. Or on the other side, when people express that they don't like something, we change it, right? We move. Lots of churches, they will just change and move and, and go a different Direction, oh no, somebody doesn't like it, let's stop. I've been, I've gotten some complaints about that. Got some complaints, we're gonna, we're gonna stop, right? We change direction. In the church world, even though it doesn't work anywhere else, we go to meet with the pastor or the elder or whomever is in authority in, in the place and, and we tell them our concerns, we tell them the things we wanna change and, and then like a day later or a week later when those things haven't changed, we say things like this. We say, well, they just won't listen to me. I'm just not being heard. They, they just didn't take us seriously. Or that leader's just a dictator, right? So the only way that we would be happy is if we went in, said what we wanted to change, and the people did what we said, right? That's how we're listened to, is if people obey us. The problem is, now I know this from experience, so I'm going to give you a little window. The problem is, when you make an appointment on Monday with pastor whoever to talk about the things you want to change, somebody else has made an appointment for Tuesday. And can you imagine that they may have different opinions than you? Just maybe. And then there may be an appointment on Thursday with complainer number three. I mean... (laughs) Beloved of God, number three. Right? And so as a pastor, as the leader, you, you know, handling these, these ideas, some of them are ideas, some of them are complaints, you know, but handling these things, you can't go with everybody because then you would be aiming for nothing. And aim for nothing and you'll hit it every single time. We know that and yet this happens in churches and with church people all over all the time. The thing is that Jesus set the church up to work in a certain way. It's not supposed to be this chaotic thing where we're running in a bunch of different directions and everybody's jostling for influence and impact and leadership. That's not what's supposed to happen. And you're not supposed to go from church to church to church complaining, 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 idea to idea to idea until you find a church that does what you want. That, that's not the way this is supposed to work. This is not supposed to be that way. The, the Bible says God is not a God of confusion. Jesus set the church up to work with a specific structure. The New Testament outlines specific roles, leadership roles and offices for the church because we're supposed to be like an arrow pointed at fulfilling the mission of God and there's not a thousand missions of God there's just one and we're supposed to be an arrow pointed at that mission and Jesus knew that left with no instruction aimed at nothing we would fail 
we'd get nowhere. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14 that within the operation of the church, all things are to be done decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14, decently and in order. So God gave us leaders. He, he laid out these offices of leadership in the church. And, and the primary one is, is overseer. Everybody say overseer. And so overseer in the New Testament church, they used three different titles to say the same thing of this overseer. Okay, so number one is, is overseer. Use that term overseer. They also use the term elder, which doesn't always mean, sometimes it does, but it doesn't always mean somebody who is older. It's an office in the church. It means overseer. Overseer, elder. They also use the term shepherd or pastor. Same, same word. And so these three things are the same thing. Overseer, elder, shepherd, or pastor. Same office, same role in the local church. Today, Peter's going to talk in 1 Peter 5 to the people that hold that office or aspire to. And then he's going to talk to those who were led by those people in that office, which, by the way, would be everyone else, right? It would be everyone who is a Christ follower, anyone who calls themselves a Christ follower. But there's, there's something important, a principle that I think is important for you to understand before we even get into this. There, there's, a, there's a difference between function, role, office, all that. There's a difference between function, role, office, and over here, uh, gifting. So there's a difference between those two things. So, so it's not always the most gifted person who is in the office of leader, overseer, pastor, elder. You tracking with me? It's not based on gifting. God appoints leaders over the local church, and then his spirit flows through them, and with that, his authority flows through them as well. So it doesn't matter how gifted a person is in leading, teaching, whatever. What matters is, are they appointed by God to lead? Now, we accept this in the workplace, no problem. Because you're not walking into your boss's office on Monday, tomorrow, and going, you're in my chair. You're in my chair. Get up. You're in my chair. What do you mean? Well, I'm better than you. Smarter. I got leadership ability. God's gifted me more than he's gifted you. You're in my chair. Nobody's doing that, right? Nobody is doing that. Why? Because you haven't been given that role. It's not yours to take. It doesn't matter how awesome you are. And we know that, right? And if we, if we did operate that way, everybody would be fighting to figure out who's best, who's smartest, who's most gifted, and we would have a different leader every couple weeks, right? And we would end up be aiming for nothing. And if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. That's not the way God set this up in the Bible. And you would know that. We would know that if we read it. If we actually got the New Testament out and we read it. We would know this. We would know that God has not set it up that way. Plus, the other thing you would know about leadership in the Bible is that God often uses the least gifted to lead. What does that say about me? <laughs> but the least gifted, amen, thank you. So he used a donkey to speak in Numbers 22. I thought you were going to say amen. Someone's going to say amen to that? No, okay. He used a donkey in Numbers 22, talking about like appointing people to leadership. God appointed a worm in Jonah chapter 4, a literal worm to do something for him in Jonah chapter 4. Moses didn't want to lead. He didn't want to speak. He stuttered. He was scared of public speaking. David had huge lust problems. You know the rest, right? God often uses the least gifted, the most imperfect on paper to do what he wants to do because it shows his glory in an even greater way uh, when he moves. So there's this, this God-ordained structure in the church because he's not a God of confusion because all things are to be done decently and in order because aim for nothing and you'll hit it every time. Even if you haven't gotten around to actually living this out in your Christian walk and in your life, you have to accept this fact if you're going to understand 1 Peter chapter 5. One through five, because it's on that basis that Peter begins to give some instruction to those who would have these roles. So 
We're in 1 Peter. We've been in 1 Peter all summer. This is our second to last week. And the apostle Peter has been talking about how we are set apart. As Christ followers, we are set apart, different, chosen for heaven, and yet called to live here differently than the world in order to fulfill his mission. So we are set apart. And this summer we've talked about how we're set apart for hope and for holiness and for service and love and and a bunch of other things. Last week we talked about how we're set apart for suffering well. And if you've missed any of those, just go grab them on iTunes or our website to get caught up and understand today's message in the context of First Peter. Today, I've just called it set apart for leadership. We are set apart for leadership. So Peter's wrapping up his letter, but he wants to give some direction to leaders and about leaders. So those appointed by God to lead, shepherd, oversee the church. Because he knows that God has set this thing up to work in a certain way. And I'm, I'm well aware that this may seem strange coming from me. That teaching on leadership in the church and how you should respond to leadership in the church seems a little weird because I'm the lead pastor of this church. I get that. But it shouldn't because as your pastor, you want me to teach like a tiny bit of the word of God, right? You want me to teach like just part of it? You want me to make sure that I teach the stuff that's easy to teach, right? You guys want me to teach like just the fun stuff, right? No, you want me to teach. If you, if you got your head on straight this morning, you want me to teach the whole counsel of God. Amen? You want me to teach the whole counsel of God. And what a huge plus, a strength to doing a series like we're in, set apart in First Peter, where we're going verse by verse through a whole book, that a huge strength is called expository preaching. The huge strength of expository preaching is that we deal with whatever's in the text. If I skip over it, you're going to know. If you were here last week, right? You're going to know. Like, oh, wait a second. He just skipped over those five verses. You're going to know if I skip over something. And so today, we're just going to study this together and, um, and look at these five verses together. Let's not skip over it. First five verses in 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll take them one verse at a time, though. Now, end up unpacking this. Uh, from three kind of aspects, three angles, a leader's role, a leader's responsibility, I'm sorry, a leader's role, a leader's reward, and the follower's response. So those three things, role, reward, and response. Um, We'll get there in a few minutes, but we'll spend most of our time on role because Peter does. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5, says this, so I exhort the elders among you As a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So this is is to the elders, but Peter does two interesting things here that reveal something about elders, overseers, pastors. Okay, so first, he calls himself a fellow elder, but he's not, not really. He kind of outranks the elders, right? Like if the apostle Peter, Peter showed up, Today, we'd yield the floor, right? He he outranks the elders. He's he's an apostle. He's a leader of multiple churches. He was with Jesus. He's writing a letter that ends up in scripture. He he outranks the elders. And yet he says, no, I'm I'm a fellow elder just like you. He could have said, I'm an apostle. I'm a leader of multiple churches, and I exhort you elders but he counts himself as one of them. He's modeling the instruction that he's about to give to these elders and to these leaders. And then the other thing that's interesting here is that he mentions having been witness to the sufferings of Christ. That's a strange way for Peter to say that he lived with Christ, that he was with Christ on earth, that he saw him, that he was one of the disciples. It's a strange way because it would make way more sense if he said, I was witness to the resurrection of Christ. Or I was witness witness to the ministry of Christ. But instead, he specifically says, I was witness to the sufferings of Christ. He's talking about the night and day when Christ was betrayed, beaten, arrested, beaten, and then died on a Roman cross. He's talking about that night and that day. But if you've read the gospel before, you know that that wasn't like a great day for Peter, was it? Like, that wasn't a banner day for Peter. 
He failed. He bailed. He ran away. He denied Christ three times. He had all of these big words, all this bravado, I'll never leave you, I'll die with you. And at the very beginning, he's like, I'm out, never mind. And he doesn't even buckle under like a lot of pressure. It's like a junior high girl who's like, were you with Jesus? He's like, no. Right? I mean, that, he, he just totally fails right right when he's supposed to be the leader of the apostles and everybody needed him the most, he had bailed. So, so why did he draw attention to this? Why did Peter draw attention to this? Because I think before he, he went on to give instruction and to hold these elders and leaders and pastors to a higher standard, he wanted to remind everybody reading this letter, including us, that God doesn't choose perfect leaders. God doesn't choose perfect leaders. Leaders, elders, pastors in the church are imperfect, sinful. They fall short. They, fall, they, they fell short before they were called into this ministry, and they fall short afterwards. They make mistakes all the time. You know what? They're kind of like you guys. Right? I mean, they're a little like you in that. That they are imperfect, that they make mistakes, that they, they're not going to get it right every time. So we can't forget that. But there's more. And that's how he kind of addresses this part. But look at his exhortation. He says, I exhort the elders among you, and then verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Shepherd the flock exercising oversight. This is the role, and we're going to jump into that. But before we do that, I want, to, I want you to notice something else. I want to tie these two things together. Peter denied Jesus three times on the night he was betrayed. He denied Jesus three times when he needed him most. Peter draws attention to his greatest failure. And then he says, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. This could easily be translated as Tend the sheep. Tend the sheep. It's the exact same verb that Jesus uses with Peter in John chapter 21. If you remember John chapter 21, Jesus is resurrected. He shows up. Peter is fishing. In other words, he's given up. He's gone back to fishing. He shows up, says, come on in. They, they come in to the shore. And Peter, I mean, Jesus asks Peter three different times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And every time, Peter goes, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, I love you, I love you. And each of those times, Jesus answers back, then feed my sheep, or then tend my sheep, one of those two things. Tend my sheep. Now Peter is passing this command on to the elders and pastors of these churches, and they would have noticed the similarity here. Tend the sheep of God. Shepherd the flock of God. Here's what I think the takeaway is before we even get into the role, the reward, and the response. God doesn't choose perfect leaders. He chooses forgiven ones, right? He doesn't choose perfect leaders. He chooses forgiven ones. He's reminding these leaders, hey, you're not perfect. Neither am I. Man, I, you remember when I messed up? Peter's like, I, you're probably not going to mess up as bad as I did. You would have done better than me. I messed up huge. You're going to mess up huge. You're not perfect, but you're forgiven just like I am. And he's reminding those who would be led in the church, those who would submit to the leadership God has established. He's reminding them, hey, these people are not perfect. These people are not going to get it right all of the time, just like you. But they're forgiven by God. They've still, even in their glaring imperfections, heard the voice of God say to them, tend my sheep. Shepherd the flock of God. They're still called and appointed, even though they're imperfect. So first, understand, God doesn't choose perfect leaders. He chooses forgiven ones. Now let's talk about the role of these elders, pastors, and overseers. I read it a second ago, but verse 2, it's very clear. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Shepherd the flock and exercise oversight. In other words, take care of the flock, feed the sheep, the people in the church, feed them care for them, guide them, and be their leader. And 
lead them, be in charge under Christ. So the role of an elder, pastor, overseer in the local church, very simply, is to feed and lead. That's it. Feed and lead. Everybody say feed and lead. But then Peter says how they're supposed to do this. He gives us three contrasting statements. Don't do this, do this. Not that way, but this way. He does that three times, and I'll read them to you. 1 Peter chapter 5. If I can get there. Here we go. It says, not under, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So feed and lead, but do it right. He goes three, kind of three pitfalls that you should watch out for if you're going to lead. He goes duty, greed, and power. These are the things you need to watch out for. Duty, greed, and power. These are for elders, pastors, leaders of the church. But I think in principle, they work for anyone who would lead in any way. Anyone who would serve the church in any way. It goes, hey, watch out for these three things. And since every single Christ follower is called to serve in the local church. Let me say that again. Every single Jesus follower has been given a command to serve in the local church, to use their time, energy, resources, and gifting, talents, to serve in a significant way in your local church. Since every Jesus follower has been called to do that, then these principles work for everyone who would consider themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? Three of you are with me. Let's talk about... The first one, desire over duty. Uh, Peter goes, hey, it's desire over duty. C.S. Lewis said that duty is a poor substitute for love, like a crutch is for a leg. So I'm not saying that you can't ever serve out of duty, a sense of duty, a sense of obligation. I'm not saying you can't ever do that. Absolutely. Serve out of duty. Serve out a sense of duty when you have to. When, when, you, when you can't serve for any other reason, on the days when it's a struggle to find that love of Christ and the love of Christ for others in you that should give you what you need to serve. But on those days, absolutely grab the crutch, serve out of duty, a sense of duty on those days. When your leg is messed up, use a crutch. But it makes no sense to continue serving out of that sense of duty and obligation forever. People who serve and lead out of a sense of duty and obligation for a long time, they end up bitter, right? They end up angry. They end up complaining a lot. They end up freaking out when somebody asks them to do something that they don't normally do or one extra Sunday than they normally serve, right? Because they're serving out of duty and responsibility rather than out of love. Beloved, we should be be throwing out the crutches and walking willingly, shouldn't we? I mean, the love of Christ, the love of Christ is in us and moving us to love others and serve the church as God has commanded and through the church like God has commanded. Then we should be tossing, at some point, we should be tossing the crutches and just walking willingly forward with Jesus. We should be serving and leading because we have a desire to do so for Jesus. So desire over duty. Then he says, God over greed. Do it for God, not for some gain. When you serve in Kidstown, do it for Jesus. When you stack chairs and put chairs out, do it for Jesus. When you're a greeter at the front door, you should probably show up on time because you're doing it for Jesus. Right, greeters? Yeah. Because it's for Jesus. When you jump on the launch team to go to Washington and to reach all those people that right now we have no impact on from this distance, when you jump on a launch team to go to Washington, do it for Jesus. Not because it's easy, not because it's your preference, not because it's comfortable, but because you're doing it for Jesus. And we have a vision to have 10 locations, 10 campuses in 10 years for the glory of God and for the sake of lost people who have yet to hear the truth of the gospel. And so next to campus... 
and the next campus. Whenever you jump on to launch a campus for the sake of Christ, do so because you love Jesus. When you lead, do it for Jesus, not some personal gain. When you shepherd, do it for Jesus, not for a bunch of money or fame or recognition. Now notice it does say shameful gain, right? Don't do it for shameful gain. So it's not saying that, that you can't get anything out of leading. It's not saying you can't even get, you know, that you can't get paid for leading. But the Bible, the, you might not get paid for leading. Let me just make that clear. The Bible talks in other places how pastors should absolutely be, be paid. And how those who labor in preaching and teaching, it says, deserve a double honor. And so, yeah, absolutely. We, you could, but gain is okay. Shameful gain is not. Gain becomes shameful gain when we put it above God in our lives. Are you tracking with me? That's when gain, safe, becomes shameful gain, unsafe. When we put it above God and that's our purpose. So when personal gain is the purpose, it's a problem. So desire over duty, God over greed, and then people over power, Peter says. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, he says. If you're called to lead in the church, whether that's to lead the whole church under Christ or some kids in a small group or a ministry team or on the launch team or whatever, remember that these are people, that these are people that you are leading. These are people. More than that, they're, they're a part of the flock of God. In other words, they are beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. They're, they're not for you or me to treat as objects or as slaves to get our agenda done. That's not, that's not what they're here for. They are people beloved of God. So Christ, he appoints elders and pastors and leaders and overseers, all the same thing, over his church. There's this structure. There's leadership because aim for nothing and you'll hit it every time. But people like me, appointed to lead despite our glaring imperfections, we carry authority not in that we're in control, not in the form of control or power. I've said this before. But we carry authority. Biblical authority is less about control and power and more about weight and responsibility. Are you tracking with me? And so the Bible says that we, leaders of the church, in any, in any kind of a capacity, leaders and teachers within the church, that we will someday give an account for what we've done. That we will be held to a higher standard. In fact, the Bible says not many of you should aspire to be teachers because someday you'll give an account. That's, that's weight, right? That, that's eternal weight. Not control and power, but weight and responsibility because we'll be held accountable before God for how we lead. It's weight and responsibility for people, for the flock of God, for souls, Eternity is at stake. Heaven and hell hang in the balance. Man, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. Unless you're called. Because I know if you're called, God will give you the grace to carry the burden that at times feels unbearable. I know God will give you the grace if you're called. Won't be easy. It's not easy but his grace will be there. So shepherd the flock of God and, and exercise oversight. In other words, feed and lead. But remember, desire over duty, God over greed, and people over power. These are the hallmarks of biblical leadership in the local church. This is the rule. Now Peter is gonna get into the leader's reward. Look at verse four. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. So Peter reminds us why it's worth it. Like, why is it worth it to try to bear this burden, with the, even with the help of God? Why is it, why is it worth it to, to choose this over that and this over that three times? Why, why should we do that? It's because in our sacrifice for, service to, and leadership of the local church, we are to be driven by eternity. Aim for nothing and you'll hit it every time. Our aim is eternity. It's eternal. It's not this life. It's the next. That's where our aim is. It's about people being reunited with God through Christ. 
despite their sin. It's about souls being saved and Jesus being glorified. It's about hope, like real, tangible, you can count on it kind of hope in Jesus Christ for your future. That's what this is about. He talks about the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd is going to return. How many of you are excited about that? That Jesus is going to come. That's the message. That's the eternal aim of our call in Christ. It's towards eternity. Jesus, the chief shepherd, is going to come back. And you'll be rewarded for your sacrifice, your service, your leadership in his church. And it will not be a small thing. It'll be the unfading crown of glory for those who persevere. Who do whatever God has called you to do appointed you to do in his local church. And in using the term chief shepherd here, he's being clear that the shepherds that he's talking to, these elders, these overseers, these pastors, that they are appointed by the chief shepherd and they ought to be led by the chief, the chief shepherd, right? And so what happens in church sometimes is that... When somebody tries to lead who is appointed by God, somebody tries to lead, uh, when you don't like it, when somebody in the church doesn't like it, what they'll often say is something like, well, you're not in charge. Jesus is. It's a great argument. To which we say, yes, absolutely. How many of you are excited that Jesus is in charge of this church? Amen. Yeah, me too. I don't want it if Jesus isn't here. Like, God, it's too much. You guys are too much trouble, all right? I want Jesus. I'm always saying, Jesus, you take this. You take, you're in charge of this church, not, not me. So, so we have this argument, like, well, I don't have to do what you say. I don't have to submit to leadership like the Bible talks about. I don't have to do this. I don't have to go in this direction. Why? Because Jesus is in charge, not you. The fact that Jesus, the chief shepherd, is actually in charge, and he appoints leaders, it doesn't take away from the weight and responsibility that that, pe- that, that that leader has. It doesn't take away from their authority. Doesn't it add to it? Because now you're going, okay, Jesus is in charge, and he put this dude in charge. I mean, the chief shepherd has this shepherd's back. Maybe I should have his back too. Maybe I should get behind him as well. Maybe I should... Be a supporter as well. Jesus is in charge, but it doesn't take away from the shepherd's authority or weight. It adds to it. It adds to it. Even as glaring as mine or, or some other leader's imperfection may be, whether that's a pastor, a ministry leader, a life group leader, an elder, something else. So the apostle Peter has given us kind of the role. This is... This is the role, and he's given us the leader's reward. Now he's going to say that in light of all this, here's the follower's response. Here's the follower's response. Look at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, in with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Listen, We're all led by someone in some area of our lives, right? Even if it's Jesus, right? In some area, nobody is the leader in all areas. Somebody leads you in some other area of your life. So I I think this is, leaders are followers in, in one way or another. So I think this is kind of for everybody. Plus, it says the words all of you, which I think should be a clue. But also, because he says, you who are younger, and some of you, when you read that, you're like, I'm out. It's not talking to me. I'm older. I don't have to listen. I don't have to clothe myself in humility or be subject to leaders because I'm actually, uh, I'm actually older. Well, I don't think it's saying physically younger. I, I, think, I think this is a play on words where, where the apostle Peter has been talking to those that he's calling elders. He's chosen that term to talk to overseers, elders. And that term literally means what you would think it would mean, older than most, right? Somebody who's older would be, literally would be an elder. But the office in the church is different. They use that term 
So it's a play on words. So basically he's saying, elders, I'm going to talk to you, now you who are younger. In other words, non-elders. There's no term for that. Let's make one up. Youngers. Okay? So he's like, elders this, youngers this. It's not talking about age. It's talking about those who are being led by these elders. You who are not elders. Everyone else. So here's the progression in case you're missing it. Aim for nothing and you'll hit it every time. God has set the church up to work in a certain way for a certain purpose with a certain structure. He has appointed leaderships, not leaders, not, not perfect leaders, but forgiven ones. And their role is to feed and lead, to shepherd the flock and to exercise oversight. And if they do that by putting desire over duty and God over greed and people over power, then they'll receive this eternal reward. So this is how God has set this thing up to work. So when you're not the leader, Peter says, be subject. When you're not the leader, be subject. Listen to the leader. Do what the leader says. Clothe yourself in humility. So, so if you want to be heard... If you, if you have an opinion, if you want something to change, if you have an idea, listen, clothe yourself in humility. Beloved, when you disagree with those that God has appointed as leaders in your life, which, by the way, you, if you're not a consumer-driven church shopper, then you will absolutely one day disagree with those that God has appointed as leaders in your life. You just have to stick around long enough, right? Right? I say this, I'm always like, hey, if we haven't made you mad at Great Oaks yet, if I haven't made you mad at Great Oaks yet, you haven't been here long enough, just stick around, (laughs) right? We're going to do something that ticks you off. I'm going to do something that makes you mad that you disagree with. So if you're not a, if you're a church shopper and you're just, well, that made me mad, I'm going to go to the next church, well, down the street, then you're never going to have to deal with this. But if you go deep with a church, then you're going to disagree with leaders that God has sovereignly and purposefully placed in your life. When you disagree, clothe yourself in humility. So it's not like, notice he didn't say put on the socks of humility. He didn't say like, hey, you should like wear a little armband of humility. He goes, clothe yourself, in like a small amount, but clothe yourself In humility, like Esther or Daniel, don't do these things, disagree, offer opinions, criticize, whatever it is. Don't do these things with pride. Notice Peter didn't say also, everyone else, non-elders, youngers, everyone else, be silent. He didn't say, you have to be a slave to these overseers, just go do whatever they say all the time. He, He just says, be humble. Clothe yourself with humility, which to me, which to me sounds like you're speaking up. It sounds like you're being heard. It sounds like you're offering ideas and opinions and you're disagreeing. You're just doing it with humility. You're doing it with humility instead of pride. And in the end, you're submitting to the authority God has put in your life, not because that authority doesn't make mistakes, not because they're always right, not because they always choose Desire over duty and God over greed and people over power at every single turn and in every single second. You're subject to them, as the Bible just said, because these are under shepherds. And these under shepherds have a chief shepherd. And that chief shepherd has appointed them, even with their glaring imperfections. And I love how Peter ends this section where he's talking about leading and being led. He says, God opposes, it's Proverbs 3.34, he, he, he quotes it, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention the warning here, that to, to disagree, that you and I, leader or, or the one being led, that, that if we, were to disagree or offer opinions, to criticize, or in any other way, speak about each other, 
speak about one another in a way that is prideful. Or or worse, for us to play the part of the the pouting three-year-old or the entitled teenager and storm off, never to talk about it, not spending the time to work things out and talk with each other and as brothers and sisters in Christ, full of grace, move together forward. If we were to storm off like a three-year-old or an entitled teenager, that to do these things with pride is to invite God to actively oppose us. He opposes the proud. But there's also a promise in this that I lean into on a regular basis. That if I'm humble, if I admit that I don't have it all figured out and I don't always know what we're supposed to do, and if I'm humble, if I start each day on my knees begging God, God, give me direction for this church because it's not my church, it's your church. If I do that, if, if I'm humble, then there's this grace. God gives this unbelievable grace. Grace to carry the weight that at times feels unbearable. Grace to hold the line when God has called me to hold the line and to receive correction when that's what I need. Grace to lead and to be led. And listen, that grace is available to you too. If you're leading a life group, that grace is available. If you're leading a ministry team, that that grace is available. If you're leading teenagers on Wednesday night or Sunday night, that grace is available available to you. And listen, when you're following, when you're being led as God wants you to be led, that grace is available to you as well. If you're humble, he gives grace to the humble. And listen, this whole thing is God's grace. I mean, this whole thing is God's grace. The order, the structure, the exhortation to leaders that that Peter gives in chapter 5. This whole thing is God's grace, isn't it? I mean, it's all God's grace. The command to those who are not called to be overseers and elders. Aim for nothing and you'll hit it every time. God's going, I set this up. With a specific mission, a specific aim, a specific uh, purpose. And I'm going to give you what you need to get there. You just have to trust me. This is my grace, he's saying. Leaders, trust me and lean into it. Those who would follow, trust me and lean into it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word that speaks to us every single time, both timeless and timely. We thank you for that. And God, I pray that it would do the work that that only it can do, only you can do, Holy Spirit, that you would cause your word to stick with us. Whatever was of me today, God, I pray that it would be quickly forgotten, would fall to the wayside, but what is of you would do the opposite, would stick with us, haunt us, that we would remember it, that we would live by it, that it would create faith and action. God, I pray for those in this room who have yet to give their lives over to you. And they're going, man, we're talking about leadership, we're talking about church structure and, and how this works. It sounds important, but I, I'm just not there yet. I haven't given my life to Jesus. I haven't submitted my life to him first. I'm not even there. For those in this room who are in that place, Lord, I pray that they would grab onto one principle today and it would be that, God, you don't call perfect people, you call forgiven ones. God, that that you don't expect us to be perfect before we're accepted, but rather you forgive imperfect people, people who have messed up. Gotta think about what you said in Romans 
that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I pray that that message, for those who have yet to really give their lives over to you, that that's the message they hear today, that that I don't have to be perfect, that I, I just need to be forgiven. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that in this moment, you would move upon the hearts of those who need to submit their lives over to you and that they would ask for your forgiveness. So as we continue in an attitude of prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if that's you, I just want to pause for a moment and give you this moment to make that decision. You don't need a priest or a pastor or holy water or anything like that or certain words and incantation. All you need is a heart that wants God to transform you. So just ask God in your own words, God, help me. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for him to transform you and commit your life to him. Jesus, you're in charge of me now. From this day forward, I'm going to do what you want me to do, God. I'm going to read your word and I'm going to listen to those who who you put in my life that that know your word and I'm going to follow what you're saying. And the Bible says that if you do that, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and grant you eternal life. So if that's you, take this moment to make that decision. Nothing else matters. Just take this moment to make that decision. God accepts you where you are in your imperfection and your sin, but he doesn't leave you there. Thank God he doesn't leave us there. You don't have to be perfect to come to Jesus. You just need to be forgiven. Accept that forgiveness today. Lord, I pray for those in this room who need to do that. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would overcome obstacles and doubts and questions. And even in a, in a moment of just confusion even, some, some questions that aren't answered, I pray that you would overcome and that you would plant that seed of your gospel truth and that lives would be transformed. It's in your holy name that we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for us today. May you accept God's plan for leadership. May you fight to lead, serve, and sacrifice for the right reasons. And whatever you do, may you do it not in pride, but clothe yourself always in humility. Make sure you talk this over with your life group. Stop at Connection Central if you're not in a life group. And as always, my challenge to you is that you don't let this stop with you. Go out and talk to somebody this week about 1 Peter 5. We'll see you next week.